Hope you have your Bibles with you. It's Galatians chapter 5. If you didn't bring your Bible, you really need to be in your Bible. We are a Bible-preaching church, and uh, we're always going to be preaching, and almost always expositionally, which means we're going to let the, the text breathe on its own. And we're not giving it artificial uh, breathing. We're letting it breathe. We're trying to seek and find, God, what are you saying to us through your word? It is our authority. It is living and active. We yield to it. We hunger for it, we ask, and we invite you to teach us. So we teach that uh, sermons are the opportunity for God to speak, not just through the sermon in your quiet time and uh, throughout the week, but Lord, we're asking him constantly, speak through this sermon, speak into our people, speak into my life as well. So here's what I want you to do as you're opening up to Galatians 5, we're in the Root to Fruit series. Let me ask you to imagine something. Some of us, you might be too young to have ever experienced this, or you might just never have experienced it, but I want you to imagine that you're wanting to buy a new car. Maybe it's a pre-owned one. And you go look at it, and the first thing you do, now I want you, you got to get inside this, all right? This is holy imagination. I'm not asking you to reimagine the Bible. I'm not asking you to reimagine anything. Just imagine you on a car lot, and you get there, and the first thing you're going to do, you're going to walk around it, you're going to look at it. You notice how the car looks. You notice how big it is now that you're there in person. You notice how sleek it is. You notice its color and the sun. Do you like the way that the sun reflects on that color? You're going to look at the tires and the rims. And maybe if you like this, like I would, if, does it have true dual exhaust? Does it have keyless entry on the doors? You're going to walk all around. This is what you're going to do. You're going to observe it from the outside, but then... You're going to get under the hood. You're going to get behind the wheel. You're going to start it up. You're going to note how it runs and how the exhaust sounds. But you begin from the outside before you move inside. And if you really like it, now that you've looked at it outwardly, and now that you've climbed inside of it and you still really like it, you might take it for a test ride. And if it wows you, you're going to buy it. If you can afford it, you're going to bring it home. And you might find that the car that you're interested in is one that you've almost never seen on the road, certainly never in that color, and until recently, you probably, perhaps with this car, never even knew much about it. And if you end up with it, you're belonging, you're going to belong to an extremely elite ownership group. Now, we're going to take all of that imaginatory, imagination, all of that fictitious incident, all of that event. You know, you'll get to the car lot, you look around it, and then you get inside of it, you see how it feels, you start it up, you take it for a test ride, you buy it, you bring it home, you're in an elite group. Bring all of that together in one package as we approach the eighth virtue in the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. See, we're going to look at gentleness, and we're going to start by walking around it for a bit, seeing how it looks. Then we're going to get into its interior, see what it really means. We're going to take it for a test ride. What's it look like, gentleness in action? And then, how do you get it home into the garage of your hearts? Let's look at the first one, gentleness in the parking lot. Let's walk around it a little bit. Let's observe First of all, let's observe this. You ready? Gentleness is a rare vintage. I mean, how many people do you know that you could truly say 
exhibit gentleness in their life? How often, let me ask you this, let's get it really personal. How often have you personally prayed that God would give you gentleness? And my guess is, for the first one, your answer is rarely. For the second one, maybe never. 180 years ago, a guy named George Bethune, he he wrote these words. I'm going to quote him. He wrote, perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Indeed, it is considered rather as belonging to natural disposition or external manners than as a Christian virtue. And seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is a sin. Seldom do we really reflect that not to be gentle is a sin. Well, have you ever, I'm asking my third question. Have you seen it in others? Have you prayed for it? Here's my third question. Do you truly understand and believe that not being gentle is a sin? Now, again, I think rarely, perhaps for the first one, probably never for the second question. And I think for most of us, the third answer, I've never even thought of that before. When I read Bethune's quote, it resonated in me. Because not only have I rarely ever prayed for this virtue to be developed in my life... I've almost always viewed it more of a personality trait in people. But gentleness, listen, it's not an easygoing personality. It's not an an effeminate nature. It's not a cowardly disposition. A gentle person, it's not somebody that compromises easily or a fragile person or possesses no opinions. It's not a peace faker where you just sort of give up the argument because you just want peace to be in the house. That's not gentleness. The truth is, gentleness is compatible with great strength and a strong personality and authority. So what is it? Well, we're inside the car. All right, we're in the parking lot. We're going to climb inside the car. We're going to get to the definition a little bit. It describes, gentleness describes three things in the ancient Greek. Actually, more than three, but here's three notable examples. A soothing wind, a healing medicine, and a horse that had been broken. This word in the Greek was used for all three of those. It's a wind that can knock you off your balance. It's a medicine that can knock an infection out of your life. It's a horse that can buck you from the saddle. Except that gentleness is all three of those under control. And made useful. It's strength controlled that is fully committed to the will of its master. So it's the harnessing of the wind. It is the usefulness of the medicine. It's the breaking of the horse so that it can pull a a plow. This is what gentleness means. It's always strength under control made useful to the will of the master. It's a heart that has been made calm toward God. It lives out of that inner tranquility. Now, now we lose sight of this. This is so easy to forget this. That all nine virtues of the fruit of the Spirit, listen, they're Greek nouns. They're not verbs. They're not adjectives. 
their nouns, their possessions, their things that the Spirit of God is cultivating in us. They are the attributes, they are the character qualities of Jesus that the Spirit is cultivating in every Christian. And as I said in the very first week of this series, all nine of them, he's cultivating. You might be saying, well, I've got six of these nine down, so I'm doing pretty well. I think God must be satisfied with my life. And I'm going to tell you, no, he's not. He wants to cultivate all of these in your life. He'll do it by the power of the Spirit. He'll make you look more like Jesus. And it happens as we are led by the Spirit, as we keep in step with him. But I want to tell you very candidly, if you were to ever come up and ask me, Tim, which of the nine do you see the least in your life? I'm going to tell you it's probably gentleness. So this has been pretty convicting. But actually more than that, it's been kind of hope-inspiring. Because I think God is starting to develop this. I'm asking for this. I want this in my life. I told you week one, this is my personal journey, root to fruit. I'm inviting you along with it. I want these fruit and these fruit characteristics in my life. I want them in your life. I want us to experience this together. So you go back to gentleness, and what is it? Well, it's the calmness that produces a very humble strength that is patiently submissive when we're offended. And it remains free of any desire for revenge and retaliation or retribution. That's gentleness. When you're provoked, there's a calmness vertically between you and God that permeates your horizontal relationships. So you get offended, you get provoked, somebody hurts you, and your response by the power of the Spirit can be strength under control made useful to the Master. Jesus. See, gentleness is possible because a heart of gentleness turns all things over to God's help rather than seeking solutions in your own strength and in your own wisdom. So I want you to return for a moment. Let's go back to the parking lot. Let's go back to the car. And I want you to imagine now you're sitting inside this rare model called gentleness. And there's something that you're starting to slowly realize as you look around to the dash, to the seats. There's nothing glamorous. There's nothing pretentious. There's nothing showy about this virtue. Nothing. You see, with gentleness, the self does not loom large at all. In fact, yourself looms small. You'll never see a person filled with the fruit of gentleness that thinks highly of himself or thinks of himself better than others. It's not possible for that to be in the heart of a gentle person. You're not going to find someone full of spirit-produced gentleness that craves attention. You're going to find instead in that person that's been cultivated with, with gentleness a river of humility that doesn't think less of himself, just simply thinks of himself less. And with that, it's time to take it out for a test ride. We're going to see how it does on the road. So let's get to point number two. What's gentleness look like on a test ride? 
you know, I want the fruit of gentleness to grow in my life. You might too. So what's it look like when it's actually functioning, when it's living in a Christian? Well, let me give you a few answers to that. First, notice there is a great deal of power in gentleness. At times, a gentle Christian will be, collective gasp, angry. Gentleness and anger can go together. But as William Barclay once wrote a long time ago, it is the quality, gentleness is a quality, of the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. See, this isn't a virtue that could be described with a phrase that was in popular semantics when I was young called milk toast. I just heard this the other day on the TV, actually. Some of you might never have heard of that phrase before. Milk toast in New England. Milk toast is, a, is when they take toast and they dip it in a white milk-based sauce. It's a throwback term. If you go all Urban Dictionary on it, it means spineless, unassertive, mousy person. That's the way we used to use it. When somebody was a milk toast, that means they had no spine. Their spine ran yellow. But that's not what gentleness is. Rather, it is power in control in a calm heart. So gentleness really begins with a heart that's been made calm by the Spirit of God that has a great deal of power but knows when to exercise it and when not to. You know, there's been a reimagining of Jesus in our modern day, and you often see it in some of the Christian songs on the radio, a lot of the Christian books. So let me kind of open your eyes to this a little bit, okay? Because I, we've had people in our church that have reimagined Jesus in this way, and we've had to deal with this lovingly, gently, of all things. But you, here's what happens, here's what often happens. You take Matthew eleven twenty nine, and they paint an entire but incomplete picture of Jesus from that verse, which goes, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then we color that, and we shade that with pictures and, and images of Jesus holding little children and treasuring his times with the outcasts, and all that's true. He did all of that. And all of that's accurate. This is part of what Jesus is and what he looks like. It's just simply not a complete portrait. So I'm going to take you first to Psalm 110, and then I'm going to take you to Isaiah 40. And I'm going to show you a little bit bigger picture, more rounded picture, of who this gentle, loving, lowly Savior we have. Who he is. Psalm 110.5 says this, The Lord, this is Jesus, is at your right hand, and he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. That's a prophetic announcement of Jesus. So Jesus, who's bouncing children on his knee, is going to shatter and fill the land with corpses and his judgment. See, the modern-day reimagining kind of excises this from the picture of Jesus that they like to give. It's now the 
docile Jesus. It's now the tamed Jesus. Jesus has never changed. He's immutable. He cannot change. So how does gentleness in Jesus fit with all of this power? All of this judgment that one day he's going to exercise. Well, Isaiah shows us this in Isaiah 40. This is a really amazing chapter. I'd invite you to really study it this week. I'm going to just give you a sampling. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God, is a reference to Jesus, comes with might and his arm rules for him. Verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Are you getting the power? I mean, if you haven't turned to Isaiah 40, maybe you want to. I just referenced verse 10 and verse 15. He, this is a display of the power of Jesus. You get to verse 25. To whom then will you compare me? Lift up your eyes and see. He who brings out their host by number, stars, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So we get Isaiah 40, which goes on about how he scoops out and holds all the ocean's water in his palm. I mean, all of this display of power in the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, Couched in the midst of all of these verses of his might is verse 11. And I want you to hear this. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. You see, God is great. Jesus is both great and gentle. He is mighty and meek. He is kingly and kind. This is the complete picture of Jesus. You can't reimagine this. It is power under control. That is a great way to understand gentleness that is made useful for the master. And it provides a steady foundation for all of our actions. So first, we're inside the car. We're actually taking it out on the road. We're doing a test ride. First thing we notice, man, this thing's got a lot of power. A lot of power. But secondly, you're on your test ride of gentleness. Notice the way it handles on the road. Notice the way that it conducts itself. It handles itself with other people. See, let me give you a little bit of a scenario. You make a vacation resort. You make reservations at a vacation resort. Only to get there and find out that they lost your reservation and they have no room left. Now let me ask you, honestly, if that was you, will gentleness be in your heart? Will it be in my heart? Would you start yelling? Would you start demanding? See, these are honest where the rubber of the car meets the road and how it handles. Will you conduct yourself in gentleness? You work hard, you defended your position in the paper that you wrote for your professor, but you've got a liberal teacher, and he or she marks you down because they don't like your moral views. You like your A's, you just got a C. Will gentleness guide the way you handle it? 
Now notice what, I, what doesn't look like gentleness. Well, you get angry and bitter and hold it in your heart. That's not gentleness. Will you go running up with your paper in hand and demand a regrading? That's not gentleness. Would you sit down with your teacher and invite a conversation and really probably try to find the roots of that teacher's real problem if they let you? That's gentleness. It is strength, calmly under control, made useful for the master, Jesus. Your child is bullied at school. The administrators don't do anything about it. Will gentleness undergird your phone call to the principal? You see, gentleness helps navigate tricky, potentially hurtful situations. Here's how it works with angry people. Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. With people who are just flat out wrong, gentleness works. Galatians 6, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. With people who argue with you and debate you, just want to disagree with you, whether it's Facebook or in person, how does gentleness work? How does it handle itself? And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. With those who are asking, why are you even a Christian? Well, here comes gentleness. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. See, gentleness is a virtue that affects a broad array and variety of relationships. So how does it look on the road? How does it handle? Well, thirdly, notice the appreciating value in gentleness. The price of gentleness is going to go up. The value goes up. It doesn't go down. It doesn't depreciate. Now, D.L. Moody served the Lord at a time when it was very, very common. I want you to hear this. D.L. Moody, in the 1800s, a Chicago-based evangelist. And he served the Lord at a time when, honestly, it was very, very normal for an evangelist to display an absolute, utter air of self-importance. They were just cocky, arrogant, rough, hard people. But not Moody who rarely, listen, listen to this, this is gentleness. He rarely criticized other people. And he gave his reason for why he rarely did that. I'm going to quote, Right now, I'm having so much trouble with D.L. Moody that I don't have time to find fault with the other fellow. Now that's a brilliant starting place for how to be gentle with other people. Because when you really are just gut-level honest with yourself, and when I'm really honest with myself, all of a sudden, man, who am I to criticize anybody else? Look at all my faults. You know what I notice every time we sing a song that has some form or variation of the lyric, Amazing Grace, or we sing about God's grace? You want to know what I see all the time? As soon as we begin singing... We get to that part of the, of the song that talks about grace. So many hands begin to raise up. And listen, I know why. 
it's the same reason mine does. Because I know what a sinner I am. And how could God possibly love me? How could he keep having patience with me? How could he keep being so gentle with me? And why am I not that way with other people? Lord, I need your help. I need the Spirit of God. How refreshing. Now listen, think about this. How refreshing it would have been to be friends with D.L. Moody. How restful it is when you find a friend that you could just be at ease around. Who will speak truth to you, but they will do it so gently and so lovingly with such a calm heart that's been made useful to its master. Proverbs 15, a gentle healing tongue is a tree of life. Man, don't you want to eat that fruit? Don't you want people to eat that fruit from you? See, gentle people soothe. They bring calmness in the midst of a difficult, struggling life. They're not the ones dishing out pithy advice that's really meaningless, unhelpful. They're anchoring people in steady, faithful, loving trust and demeanor. No wonder gentle people are so attractive. No wonder they're so helpful. How unfortunate that we're so rare. Gentle Christians. I want to be that. I want to be in a church full of gentleness. They're not given to panic. Neither will they do nothing. What they do will be thought out. It will be deliberate. It will be humble. It will be reassuring. And one of the most loving outworkings of gentleness in the lives of others, listen, is rest. People could just be who they are around you. Even if that's not always a life altogether. Because they know you're not going to judge. They know you're not going to hypercritical come at them with hypercriticality. They're going to love you and they're going to speak truth. But they're going to be with you on the journey. They're not going to oppose you unnecessarily. They're not going to pound the gavel on you. Their tongue will be life for you. They're not going to condemn you for your weakness. They're not going to beat their brows when they hear of your failures. If there's a stern word that they need to give us, it will be thoroughly permeated with love. Listen, gentle people are not so strongly dogmatic that other people are afraid to express their own opinions around them. There is a sensitivity in gentleness. There's a listening ear that carefully, deliberately speaks in a way that keeps truth Gracious. You know that's important, right? Can we talk about that for a moment? Because a lot of us are good at one or the other. We either speak truth very well, but we lob off grace, and it's just outright painful. That would tend to be me. But then there's others that speak graciously, but they're afraid to really give you the truth, so they flatter. They are absolutely unhelpful people in your life. It is a rare person that takes the power of truth and weds it with the beauty of grace and marries it and produces gentleness. And all of a sudden, when you find that person, you never ever want to let them go. See, blunt speech, and a lot of us excuse it. It's my personality. No, it's not. 
Well, I don't like dancing around issues. Well, you need to learn to. Because blunt speech and an abrupt manner, they are not evidences of the Spirit producing gentleness. The gentle Christian doesn't feel the liberty to correct everyone and say what you're thinking and let the chips fall where they may. If it's necessary to wound with words, they will, but it'll be quickly followed up by binding them, those wounds, with words of consolation and encouragement. See, that's what gentleness looks like in the Christian where the Spirit of God is cultivating the virtue of Jesus. But we've walked around the car, we've observed what it looked like, we climbed inside of it, took it out for a test ride, observed how it handles itself with other Christians, with other people, but now we're going to bring it home. How on earth do you get this thing home in the garage of your heart? How do you do it? We gain gentleness as we walk with the Spirit. Now somebody in here, I'm sure, is begging me to give you easily manageable steps to be able to just get gentleness and just cram it in your heart and start living it. Let me tell you, that is absolutely, literally impossible. It does not work that way. Every bit of transformation works in relationship with Jesus through the Spirit of God. And it takes time. So let, how, do, how do we let that begin to work? How do we become more gentle tomorrow than we were today? Even if it's by degrees or just shades of difference. How do we journey forward on this gentleness relationship with Jesus and with people? You gain gentleness as you walk with the Spirit. What's that look like? Again, I'm not going to tell you ten things it looks like because it would be this, the same ridiculous thing for me to tell you if you came and asked me, how do I have a better marriage? I'm just going to tell you, do you love her? Do you love him? Yeah, I could give you all kinds of practical things to try. But it gets right down to it. Do you love that person more than, than yourself? Believe me, you're going to have a really good marriage. If you love yourself more than them, you're not going to have a very good marriage. It's really not rocket science. It's relationship. So how do you have this display of gentleness in your life? Do you have a close relationship with God through the Spirit? Do you talk to Him throughout the day? Do you say, I lack wisdom? And I know you promised to give it to me. And you're going to give it to me not through some meditative yoga-like position trance. You're going to give it not by emptying my mind of everything. You're going to actually give it by filling my mind with your word. And so if I want gentleness from the Spirit of God, then I need to come to your word. And I need to ask you, will you teach me? Will you let your living word change me? Would you shape me and transform me and speak to me and show me the way? forward that's how you walk with the spirit and all of a sudden when you find out all like i do frequently like we all do that wait a minute i'm in front of the spirit i'm expecting him to walk behind me now it doesn't ever work that way he wants to be in front he wants to lead us we need to be led by the spirit and that means we got to stop and confess god i'm out of order i got in front of you again my flesh wants that position but i got to kill it 
And I need your help to kill it, verse 16. You've got to interrupt it before it carries me away into sin. So let's kill it together. Give me the power. Let me work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Why? How can I do it? For it's you that's working in me to want and to will according to your good pleasure. It's all about the Spirit of God transforming your heart so you want to do what he's telling you to do. So we ask him, I need gentleness. I'm confessing I'm not a very gentle person. So Father, I need it. I need your spirit to give it to me. I'm going to get in your word every day. I'm going to let it do its job. It's living and active. It's going to change my heart's desires. So that before, here's what it's going to look like. All of a sudden, you're, not get, you're, you're going to get down the road and all of a sudden realize, wait a minute, I don't do what I used to do anymore. When did that happen? And there's not probably going to be a mile marker when that transformation came. You're not going to be able to say, hey, three exits back, the Lord changed me. You're going to be three exits forward going, wait a minute, when did this happen? I don't struggle with that anymore. How is this coming out of me? I don't know, God. Thank you because it's coming from you. So before you correct somebody, all of a sudden you begin to realize the Spirit of God, he's cultivating gentleness. Do you want to be corrected that way? And all of a sudden there becomes a God-anointed ability to hit the pause button and really search your heart and then see how do I bring truth and grace together and marry them and produce a gentle correction for my brother and sister. You realize quickly when gentleness is being cultivated in your heart that you've hurt somebody. And before it might take days or weeks or months, maybe in some cases years, before you try to resolve that problem. But not with gentleness. You know what gentleness does? It puts your car in gear immediately and you go right to that person and you say, you know what, I blew it. Would you please forgive me? There's a lot of bad things that happens in my heart. Things that I, most of which I probably should never, could never share with you. It is too hard to take. But we recently had two snowstorms, and I'm down. I have a four-wheeler and a plow, and I do a lot of people's driveways. I love doing it. I love being out in the snow. But I'm at the bottom of my driveway right next to the road, and here comes a plow truck, a small one. It's a contracted plower that's in our township. And he goes flying by at about 20 miles per hour and spraying snow, and I'm right down next to the road. Unfortunately for both of us, he had to come to a stop sign. So what did your lead pastor, right, full of gentleness and mature in Jesus do? He puts the four-wheeler in high and goes flying down to the plow truck and hits the brakes, comes to a stop, and starts yelling at the guy. Now I'm going to tell you what happened. Even while I'm driving, the Spirit of God went to war, verse 16, in my heart. Because I already started feeling conviction because I knew what I was about to do. And while I'm yelling, that conviction became greater in me. And then in my self-righteous indignation as I turned the four-wheeler around and he went on to do his plowing, now I'm broken. And I am like, God, I cannot believe that I did that. Would you please give me an opportunity 
to ask that man to forgive me. Plowing our neighbor's house. He's an elderly neighbor. He had a stroke a while ago. I'm plowing his house. And here comes around the curb, way down the road, that plow truck. And I am like, God, thank you. Thank you. Take my four-wheeler and I go back down. He's probably scared to death. I flag him down. He rolls his window down. And I say, listen, I need to apologize. That was wrong how I talked to you. And you got a job to do, and I didn't get hurt by it. And I'm asking you to forgive me. That's what gentleness looks like after you blow it. What I'm praying is that, God, I need it in me before I blow it. I need you to hit that button. But he was doing it. He did everything he needed to do. I just put him behind me rather than in front of me and did what I wanted to do until he increased conviction enough to break my heart and take the front. And then he led me to be able to display gentleness and restore it. Listen, gentleness changes our responses when people hurt us. It keeps, it keeps us immovable when things do not go in our favor. We don't get out of whack. We don't lose our peace. And the goal in this series is not to try, to, to try harder to get this discipline of gentleness in our heart. Listen, that's not the goal of this series. It's to invite the Spirit of God to do His work of transforming us so that we live out of our hearts and live the way we're empowered to live. So let me give you some questions to ask as we get ready to close. I'm at the back end of this message. But I'm going to give you a series of questions, and they're in the outline, or they're not in the outline, rather. You can write them down. They're up on the screen. But I'm going to ask you to begin asking trusted people a series of questions. And I would really encourage you to do it this week. But only ask somebody that knows how to speak truth and grace, marry them together, and come at you with gentleness. That's the one you want to speak to, because they will tell you the truth in a way that will bring you life. Here's the questions. I want you to ask that person, do you see me as overly opinionated? Because that's not what gentleness is. Do you see me as overly opinionated? Do I present my views bluntly or harshly at times? Now, I really want you to get down to this level. Do you feel at ease around me? Able to share your own views even when you know they're going to be different than mine? Do you know that I'm not going to respond in a way that will put you in my less favorable category of relationships? Or go into argument mode and debate mode? Have you ever felt that I am judgmental of you? Now, I'm just priming your pump with four questions. You're probably going to come up with a lot better questions than I just did. Come up with them. Let the Spirit of God prompt these questions in your own life. But at, the point is, ask your godly, trusted, gentle friend for feedback. And take everything they say back to the Lord. If they say, you know what, you are a, gent a person of gentleness. Take that back to the Lord and say, God, I'm giving you praise. Because this is not a natural fruit. This is supernatural fruit that only can be in the heart of a Christian by the Spirit of God. 
And if they come back to you and say, you know what, I don't think you really are very gentle, then you go back to the Lord and you say, God, I need gentleness. I need to keep you in front of me and I need to follow you and keep in step with you, be led by you. But I'm going to give you another layer as we get ready to close. I want you to take your questions vertically to the Lord this week, and I'm going to give you three of them. God will definitely answer you with grace and truth, and he will answer you deeply. And I want you to ask, Father, is my, Heavenly Father, is my heart increasingly yielded to you? Now, I want you to get the depth and the profundity of that question. Is it increasingly yielded to you? That's the key for every one of these nine virtues. You cannot get them in an unyielded heart. And then I want you to talk to Jesus. Does anyone, Jesus, regardless of their struggle or their background, find themselves at ease around me? Anyone. Is there some demographic that I withhold gentleness to? And then I want you to ask the Spirit, Spirit, does my heart have an accurate sensitivity toward the needs of others around me? And I want, you to, and I want to invite you to ask God these questions and ask your friend these questions and take all of the answers that you get and do business with God. And let him begin changing your heart. You see, gentleness, like a beautiful car of rare vintage, it yearns to get out of the garage. Now listen, you got to listen to this. It wants to get out of the garage, and it wants to get on the road of life. It wants to display itself, and there's an excitement in getting it out on the road, and there's a thrill when heads turn to stare because gentleness is just so rare. And there's, there's an awesome responsibility and privilege when people come up and ask questions. Hey, how did you get that? Where did you buy it? And what an honor it is that we could go through their stairs and we could go through their questions and take them to the car maker, the one who produces gentleness. And that's where gentleness is on full display. It can bring glory to its master. And that's our amazing God. Are you full of gentleness? Are you power that has been broken in a calm heart and made useful to our master, Jesus Christ? If you lack it, let's pray for it. Amen.